Let's take a little time and talk now about the state that we are living in. Political, spiritual, maybe some life. While you are listening to Phyllis Favor. Take a minute, turn the radio up. Take a seat in the pastor's office. Pastor Jonathan Mason, and I want to welcome you back to the pastor's office this Sunday. Uh, it is the sixth first Sunday of the year. Uh, I tell my congregation all the time uh, that we will be looking at watch night before we know it. So what is the message I try to clearly enunciate to them? Take advantage of the time that you have because it's not waiting for you. Enjoy the time that you have because it's not waiting for you. I, I look around now. I got a I got a 15-year-old that's got shaving issues. He was just a kid just, just a little while ago. I got an 11-year-old that's going to a school dance. What, what, what is this? Dates? What's, what's, what's happening? Time doesn't wait for us. So we got to make the most of it. I, I have a message on my phone. Uh, it says, today is the first day of the rest of your life. Make it count. Listen, something else I want to talk to you about. So I have Amazon Prime. I know everybody has Amazon Prime now. It's a great service. You know what's funny? They said the streaming services are going to be cheaper than uh, traditional cable or satellite. Well, watch this. Once you have every streaming service, because you can't get everything on one service, all of those services cost more than satellite and and, and cable. But but I love Amazon Prime because they have a service they offer, which are PBS documentaries. And I love documentaries because I love history. And to me, the greatest documentarian of them all is Ken Burns. He's done some great work. And I was just watching one of his pieces on Jack Johnson called Unforgivable Blackness. And then he did one on Jackie Robinson and he did one on baseball and prohibition. Watched all of those. One I was just watching the other day told the story of Reconstruction. People like Cornell West and others were giving their opinions. And it was about a five series or a five episode series on Reconstruction. And it took us up to to and through the end of Reconstruction and then how it's impacted us in the modern day. I love history. If you don't know your history, then you don't know whose shoulders that you are standing on uh, and who's lifted you up. History is an amazing thing. And previously on the show, we've had representatives on from the African-American Museum in Philadelphia to talk about special exhibits that they have. But I'm really excited today to have on our program the new president and CEO of the African American Museum in Philadelphia. Her name is Dr. Ashley Jordan. Let me let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Jordan. She was prior to her tenure here in Philadelphia 
the senior director of development at the National Underground Railroad Freedom Center in Cincinnati, Ohio. She's received numerous awards. She's represented her university as well. She's a graduate of the Howard University uh, in Washington, D.C. with her doctorate. She also graduated from Kent State University with her bachelor's in political science. She's now a Philadelphian. She's here with us in the city of brotherly love. And she's the president and the CEO of the African American Museum in Philadelphia. Dr. Jordan, come on in the pastor's office and have a seat. We want to welcome you to Philadelphia and welcome you to our program. Thank you for having me, and it's good to be in the pastor's office. So, so first of all, have you, have you become acquainted with hot pretzels with mustard and cheesesteaks? Because you're Philadelphian now, so, so talk to us a little bit. Yes, I have. Um, this has been a wonderful culinary experience. Being here in a city where there's so many food options, but at the, the pinnacle of the food experience is the cheesesteak and the pretzel experience. So you guys have that on lock. That, that, that is our claim to fame. That and the Rocky statue and, and the Liberty Bell. And watch this, the African American Museum in Philadelphia. We congratulate you on your appointment as the new president and CEO. Talk to us a little bit about how you have adjusted since you took the role in September. Yes, since coming on board, I would say some areas of just key focus for us was our Triple E plan in the sense that we want to do more for our, the communities that we serve through education, engagement, and expansion. And we know at the heart of what we do, education is at the forefront for African American history and culture. But we want to create these experiences um, within our exhibitions, our programs, and our lectures that get people talking. Uh, we understand that we're a history museum, but we're so much more than just a collecting institution. We're a site where history happens. And no better place than Philadelphia, um, just with its story, with freedom and its connections, we try to show and at least challenge others to champion their own stories from freedom just by coming to visit us here at the museum. One of the things that I really was impressed with with the museum is that when the pandemic hit, they made sure that their displays became virtual. And now as we're coming out of the pandemic, Lord willing, that virtual experience is still there. So one of the things I wanted to share with our listeners and allow you to kind of elaborate on is even if listeners can't make it there physically, they can still have a wonderful virtual experience. Yes, and they can do that by visiting our website at aampmuseum.org so that they can stay better connected to us because we understand that with the pandemic, many people could not come to us in the physical sense, but, but by connecting to us via your um, web browser, you are now visiting this museum from the comforts of your own home. And so we look forward to connecting with more of our visitors through this virtual web because with the virtual web, we're seeing people as far as California, as far as to Africa, just coming to be a part of our online programs as well as lectures. You're listening to Philly's Favorite 100.7 FM and 99.5 HD3. We are talking to the new president and CEO of the African American Museum in Philadelphia, Dr. Ashley Jordan. Dr. Jordan, you have some great exhibits. So the three that I was looking at, and I want to go through each of them, is Derek Adams' Sanctuary, 
Taking Care, Recent Acquisitions and Conservation, and then Black Citizenship in the Age of Jim Crow. Now, anyone who's watched movies over the last several years, our listeners, I'm sure, are familiar with the movie Green Book and Victor Hugo Green. Derek Adams' Sanctuary deals with that great part of our history. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about that? So with this exhibition in particular, what we're excited about is how we're taking historical information, which is the Green Book, but then also having this contemporary nuance in the sense that we want to communicate the messages of how at one point in our nation's history, it just was not safe for African Americans to travel the interstate without knowing what was their safe havens as far as lodging, uh, restaurants, and things of that nature. And so what Derek Adams has done through his mixed media collage is to show this interpretation through art, uh, while as well as incorporating pieces of the Green Book, the actual pages of the Green Book within his messages. And I think it has a lot to do with today, present-day messages, how there are still some places where African Americans do not have sanctuary, cannot travel to. And I think what it encourages people to do is to have these continued ongoing conversations for how anytime there's a threat to justice anywhere, it's a threat to justice for all of us. So we just have to do our part to make sure that we know the Green Book had its purpose back then, but it's just to make sure that we're safeguarding all freedoms for everyone going forward. And it has a purpose now because, you know, some of our young people and, and one, of the, one of the staples of our ministry here is, is really talking to young people, ministering to young people, spending time with them. And, and a lot of them, Dr. Jordan, just don't know a lot about their history. Never heard about a green book. They're just used to being able to access anything they want and go anywhere they want. And so being able to have exhibits like this allows them to understand where we came from. Because just like I shared earlier, if we don't know where we came from, we don't know where we're going. Absolutely. Now, now talk to us a little bit about the um, taking care, the recent acquisitions and conservation. Tell us a little bit about that exhibit. This exhibit specializes on the work that our curatorial department, headed off by our vice president of curatorial services, DJ Duckett, as well as our curatorial assistant, Zinzi Harley, have gone forth as far as preserving our collection, the who's who, the what's of our collection. Our collection is very robust here at the African American Museum in Philadelphia. We have over 500,000 prints. We have 200,000 paper archive records. We have almost close to 4,000 within the visual arts. We have about almost 1,000 within textiles. And then we have almost close to or more than 3,000 3D artifacts. And all of these things require care. And so what we wanted to show our audience members is some of the artifacts that we were able to preserve and to conserve for future generations that come from these prints or from the paper archive or from the visual art or from the textile or the 3D. And these are the treasures of our collection that we wanted to show the public how well they are being cared for so that future generations can benefit from the African American Museum and Philadelphia's collection. And then your exhibition on Jim Crow, Black Citizenship in the Age of Jim Crow. I'm particularly interested in that one. Talk to us a little bit more about that. Now, within our auditorium spaces, we have this exhibition on display, and it kind of acts as a pictorial overview of what it would have been like to live 
in the height of the Jim Crow era as an African-American citizen. At this time period, unfortunately, the law of the land that was in place basically prohibited us from being full participants within the federal system, the state system, within local government. And so it ultimately gives people a look back at something that we should not forget, but also the importance of our rights to vote going forward, what it means today, and how we must continue to be um, just as vigilant um, to make sure that even when we see these elections coming forward, um, the gerrymandering that is taking place, making sure that we are still doing our part to vote. Now, I wanted to ask you about the duration of these exhibits. How long will they be here at the museum? All of these exhibits will be on display until after August 28th. So right before Labor Day weekend, I would recommend folks please come to the museum to check out all of these exhibitions. And then you've got some great sponsors and partners uh, that have been a part of helping you bring a lot of this to fruition. Let's, let's give them a plug. Yeah, I would definitely want to give a plug out to some of our longstanding supporters, PICO as well as Citizens Bank. Even with the emergence of our future works, um, as we lead into Juneteenth, we're excited about our upcoming block party, which will be held on June 19th from 11 to 4 p.m. Um, our presenting sponsor is Wawa, and we have some other sponsors helping us as well, as such as Express Pros, um, the Philadelphia Convention Center. Um, they're helping us in regards to making this a great day, as well as the Hillco Group. And so what is special about this block party, which we're excited to share, that we have as an MC acting as our mistress of ceremony, Tiffany Bacon, as well as performances from Talib Kweli and Lady Alma. And those will be our headliner, which is Talib Kweli acting on the musical piece, as well as Lady Alma, who's a local Philadelphian artist, who will help us to close out the celebration right at the 4 p.m. hour. And in the evening at 7 p.m., we are having an evening conversation with Bobby Seale, the co-founder of the Black Panther Party. We're encouraging all to bring their lawn chairs, bring their blankets. Um, we'll also have some folding chairs available, but this will be a wonderful conversation as we look to celebrate the legacy of emancipation and no better person than this historical icon, uh, Bobby Seale. Listen, now, now, now you got my attention. I was international president of Sigma when we celebrated our centennial, and we brought Bobby Seale in as a speaker. One of the reasons we did that, one, is to celebrate the legacy of the Panther Party, but also Huey P. Newton was a member of Phi Beta Sigma. And so this is cool. Uh, so oh, we're definitely you. going to come down and be a part of that and celebrate with you. So congratulations on that. Exposing Bobby Seale to new generations is a must. Yes. yes. Absolutely. And that's on Sunday, June 19th, so third Sunday, Father's Day, actually. So we want to encourage our listeners to really support this block party. I, I think after church, I'm going to come on over and yeah. enjoy my Father's Day with you guys because uh, I, I really want to see... I really want to see these exhibitions that you have here at the museum right now. Now, do me a favor. I always say this when we're talking about different locations in the city. Let's act like our listeners don't know where the museum is. Let's tell them the address. Let's tell them the hours of operation. And then let's tell them where they can go on social media platforms to engage with you because I want them to support. We are located at 701 Arch Street, um, right here on the corner in the heart of Center City. So, um, that's 7th and Arch, exactly. 
and any social media platforms, websites that we'd want to give out so that they can be a part of that? Our website is aampmuseum.org, and you can find us on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter handles via the name African American Museum in Philadelphia. The African American Museum in Philadelphia. We're talking to their new CEO and president, Dr. Ashley Jordan. And Dr. Jordan, I, I can't let you go before I give you a shout out. You are a fellow member of the Divine Nine, a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. So we appreciate that from a fellow Sigma brother. Keep on representing. Keep on doing what you do. And if Philly's favorite can support you anywhere down the line, don't hesitate to have you your team reach out to us and we'll be right there for you thank you so much and thank you for the invitation to join you today pastor and we'll be right back after these commercial messages hey philly's favorite listeners it's pastor jonathan mason and welcome back to the pastor's office i got a question for you because this is a question that parents ask themselves every summer school year's coming to an end I've got young kids in my house. What are they going to do this summer? Now, my boys uh, have been going to a summer camp every year. Every year they've gone to a summer camp. Uh, We've switched a few times. Uh, But this camp that they're going to this summer, they've, they've been enrolled there for the last three years. Uh, And they do STEM at this camp a lot of computer science. My thought is, you know, when I used to go to camp when I was a kid, we used to go to Alvathorpe Park out in Abington. We rode on boats in the pond and went fishing, but we really didn't learn anything that would help us in our future. So I want my kids to be able to have some type of enrichment during the summer. And goodness knows I don't want them sitting home all day long because we know what idle minds are. Uh, so today, we're, we're, we're going to be talking about what young Philadelphians can do this summer. And I found a great program that we want to talk to you about. It's called Hurricane Camp. Are you familiar with the Office of Emergency Management? Are you familiar with emergency management? Do you realize that it is a field that is dominated by men? And so this year, here in Philadelphia and in prior years, The goal has been to get more young ladies interested in the field of office emergency management. So there's going to be a camp this summer called the Hurricane Camp, which is going to introduce young ladies to this particular field of emergency management and hopefully get their interest and maybe put them on track to get involved in the industry long term. That being said, I want to invite Miss Olivia Gillison on. She is the Philadelphia OEM Community Preparedness Program Manager, and she's going to talk to us about this program. Soror Gillison, welcome into the pastor's office. Thank you so much for having me. Hello. So good to be here. So so Philly's favorite listeners, you heard me call her Soror. The reason I called her Soror is because she is a proud member of the Alpha Kappa Alpha uh, Sorority Incorporated. And, and you know I always talk about the blue and white Phi Beta Sigma fraternity. So when I have a fellow Greek on, I got to acknowledge it, even though... You got to all Greek love. Yeah, all yeah, Greek love. E- even though I got to admit, Soror, Gillison, I do have a case of AKA PTSD. So you got to bear with me a little bit, you know? (laughs) 
you got to bear with me. We're going to be all right. Pastor's going to be okay, all right? It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. It may hurt you now, but you're going to be okay. That's it's right. Be That's, all right. right. <laughs> That's right. So do me a favor. First of all, tell us why there are not a lot of women uh, in emergency management. And, and I'll, I'll dovetail that with how'd you get involved? Sure. So this focus, this career field, emergency management, is, is relatively new. And uh, there is, there's just really not been a focus on getting a broad reach into the sector. And so, you know, emergency management has been around, you know, for several decades, but it really didn't start getting traction with, you know, college programs and degree programs really until after the tragic incidents of 9-11, the Twin Tower attacks. And so once the Department of Homeland Security really made an effort to focus on bridging this gap between domestic terrorism and, and violent threats, you saw all of these booms with all these programs, whether they were college programs or um, additional public safety programs. And so emergency management really kind of uh, grew from that experience. And this is just something that we've not seen uh, women in particular pay um, interest to. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to change that. And so right now, I believe only maybe a third or just under a third of emergency management directors are actually women. And so we really want to try and beef up those numbers and bring the key perspective to the table that women have. Women are usually the ones solving all the problems when it comes to the aftermath of a disaster or trying to figure out, you know, how the family is going to pick up the pieces and, and put themselves back together. And so we really want to try and incorporate all those skills and knowledge that's already had from, I'll say, more traditional family roles, so to speak. But, you know, bringing that into the planning process, bringing that into the response planning process of this career field. And so uh, I will say that for myself, I got into emergency management recently, actually, here during COVID. I had been a event planner with the city of Philadelphia for almost 10 years within the Office of Special Events and kind of really took off once COVID occurred because we needed so much help. And so I've worked with our Office of Emergency Management as, as they do a layer of public safety for all of the large-scale festivals and block parties and neighborhood gatherings and all the fun stuff that you normally go to in the summertime that the Office of Special Events uh, you know, help plans, coordinate, facilitates permits for, all that jazz. And so I'd worked with them often. And once we kind of sounded the alarm for needing some assistance in the COVID response, I was like, you know, I, whatever I can do to help, I'm, I'm really ready, willing, and able to kind of step in and fill, fill that role. So my introduction perhaps was a little bit throw, throw yourself into the fire, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But it has been a absolute uh, joy to really try and understand, you know, really what this is about, how we can make an impact and, and what it is that I can do to try and help get more women into this field. So, so that, that leads us into the Hurricane Camp. Now, you had this camp uh, last year, 25 young ladies participated. You now want to expand it this year. Uh, tell us a little bit about it and what young people can expect. Sure. So last year, we ran this as a five-day, week-long um, hurricane camp. 
Um, and it was really focused on every day. There was something, we had a different theme of the day. And it was definitely a lot. Uh, the day went from about 8.30 to 3 every day. And I, I think the girls had a blast. I'm pretty positive they had a blast. And we held it at our fire department uh, recruitment training center. And this year, so the girls last year, we accepted girls ages 13 to 19. Um, this year, we're really targeting a little bit older to try and just target that career aspect of, of getting folks introduced into what a college career or a college course might look like or college and career opportunities after high school here. And so this year, we're tailoring the opportunity for girls ages 16 to 19, and we've opened it up a little bit so we can have up to 30 girls participate this year. We've decided to kind of reduce the days. So instead of it being a full five days, we're doing three days, and it's really going to be jam-packed. So our first day is kind of all about emergency management, kind of one-on-one, what is it? What do you need to know? How are you going to do this? What is it that emergency management even is? Um, And then kind of like a fundamental networking opportunity. So learning the ways in which uh, you can be involved in emergency management, learning the uh, different opportunities that exist within this career field, because there are several different ways you can be involved in emergency management. And we really want to try and express that um, that you don't necessarily need to have a degree in emergency management in order to be within this career field. So that's kind of our first day this year. And then our second day is really all about skills training this year. So we're really fortunate to have the National Weather Service is going to come in and do a uh, hazardous skywarn training, which helps the ladies will become like trained weather spotters uh, that will be able to report severe weather and hazardous weather to local meteorologists um, to help make, you know, life-saving warning decisions. So, you know, you get those alerts on your phone all the time, right? You know, like tornado warning might be in effect or severe thunderstorm warning going into effect. And so those are the types of things you'll learn from the National Weather Service. Uh, we'll also have skills training around like hands-on CPR, hands-only CPR training from our partners with the Red Cross. Uh, we're going to have a great discussion around diversity, equity, and inclusion, and how do we practice that, and what does that mean? And then Friday, our kind of our capstone day is really going to be problem solving and communications. And so we will be partnering with our local FEMA office, which is the Federal Emergency Management Association. And we will be able to partner with them to go through what their emergency operations center looks like, to learn about crisis communications and public speaking and interview skills. We'll be able to actually tour some of the emergency vehicles. And then uh, we're going to kind of put it all together in a full-blown tabletop exercise. So we're going to put you in the seat and give you a role as a potential emergency manager or a liaison and and really try and work through what might be a real life scenario. So I think that even though it's a shorter experience this year, uh, everyone, you're still going to get all of the hands-on activities that we did last year and really be able to kind of make the most of this situation. We're definitely excited to get to get this rolling. Now, I, I, I do have a question. How are you getting all of that done in three days? 
<laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. It is a lot. It is jam-packed. The schedule is jam-packed. But we make the most of the time, and we really want to try and make sure that you are fully immersed within those three days that you'll be with us and really able to see and understand everything uh, that, you know, that might interest you, right? Sure, So sure. that's what we're hoping for. Now, now, where will these sessions be taking place? Right. So we will actually be using the Municipal Services Building on the 16th floor is a really cool space that the city has, which is called the Innovation Lab. And so we will be there for the first two days of the uh, the camp. And you will get lunch every single day, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Lunch will be provided, probably a small breakfast as well. And on Friday, we will be actually visiting, like I said, the FEMA headquarters, which is at 6th and Chestnut, and as well as our local, the Philadelphia Office of Emergency Management headquarters, which is located at 2nd and Spring Garden. All right, so do me a favor. Why don't we tell our listeners, because I know there are parents out there that are looking for opportunities for their children this summer, and this is a great opportunity for young ladies that really can learn something new that can benefit them going forward in life. Let's tell them how they can get in touch with you, how they can potentially sign up and be a part of the camp. Absolutely. So we are accepting up to 30 girls this year, like I said. I think we're about a third of the way or half the way full, so definitely sign up as soon as possible. You're going to want to go to our website, which is www.phila.gov backslash ready, R-E-A-D-Y, and you will see a blog post that says Hurricane Camp, and it has all of the information and materials about how to sign up and register on our website. If you have questions or comments or the concerns, please just shoot us an email. We can be reached at oem at philaphila.gov, G-O-V. Myself and my colleagues, we check that email almost every single day. So please do reach out. And if you're interested, uh, please you know shoot us a message as soon as possible. The camp is taking place this year, um, Wednesday, June 15th. Thursday, June 16th, and Friday, June 17th, between the hours of 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. each day. So if you have questions or you want to learn more, you can either visit our website, which is phila.gov backslash ready, or you can shoot us an email at oem at phila.gov. You want your young ladies listeners to get involved with this program, all right? You want them to get some skills and some interest in something that they can really get engaged with as they go forward in their lives, get an interest in emergency management. So please, 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 we're going to put this up on our website. We're going to put it up on Facebook and Instagram, all of the information so that you can get in touch. But sign your young ladies up for Hurricane K. There's only a few more slots left. Let's do it right now. Soror Olivia Gillison, thank you for coming into the pastor's office today. I know we got to give a plug. And by the way, I love your international president, President Glenda Glover. I love her. She's awesome. Uh, She's great. I know that you all are coming to Philadelphia this summer for your boule. I will not be there because I'll be dealing with my PTSD. But I want you all to have a wonderful time. uh, And some of my other brothers will be there. All right. (laughs) 
Oh, I'm sure they will be out in the droves. It will be a sea of pink and green across the city for sure. And one last plug that I forgot to mention about the camp is that it is free. So if you're looking for something to do for three days and you have some uh, interest, please do sign up. This is a free opportunity. Wow. Free. You heard that? Free. Come on, Philly's favorite listeners. Go to our website. Go to our Facebook page. Go to Instagram. Get the information. Let's get our young people involved. Sora Olivia Gillison, thank you for joining us in the pastor's office this afternoon, and we certainly hope to talk to you again real, real soon. Thank you so much. And we'll be right back after these commercial messages. Hey, Philly's favorite listeners, it's Pastor Jonathan Mason, and we want to thank Miss Olivia Gillison uh, from the Office of Emergency Management here in Philadelphia for coming into the pastor's office to talk about the hurricane camp. Uh, again, go to our Facebook page, go to our Instagram, uh, go to our website. We have information there so that you can get your young ladies engaged in this very, very useful camp. All right, now let's pivot. I remember when I was growing up, and I share with you all the time, I grew up uh, in Abington. I went to Abington High School. I'm, I'm, I'm a galloping ghost for life. But I remember in the summer that one of the things I looked forward to was going to Crestmont Park so that I could go swimming. And it was a badge of honor for me to move from the children's side of the pool and go to the adult side of the pool where where my feet didn't touch the ground when I got in the water. So a part of my childhood experience that I I remember and I cherish is going to the pool during the summer. I know during COVID, we had some issues with pools opening in the city, but we had issues prior to COVID because there were staffing challenges. How many of you know that the city is hiring lifeguards right now? They're hiring lifeguards for the summer because they want to open up all of their pools. But they can't open up the pools if they do not have lifeguards. Now, our focus here is on getting young people something to do during the summer. But these positions are actually open to anybody 16 years of age or older. So here's what I want to do. I want to welcome into the pastor's office for the first time the Deputy Commissioner of Parks and Recreation for the City of Philadelphia, uh, Mr. Bill Salvatore. Mr. Salvatore, come on into the pastor's office. Happy to be here. How are you today? Well, I'm doing well, and I thank you for dedicating some time to come in and talk to us about the Parks and Recreation and their goal to open up all the pools. First of all, tell me, how many pools are we trying to open this summer so that we can give our young people something to do? Yeah, we're trying to open 65 pools. 65 pools, okay. And now how does that compare to the number of pools that were open last year? We opened 42, I believe, last year. So we're, you know, we're trying to, everything that's available, we're trying to open. So we have 65 available this year. We're trying to open every one. Okay, okay. And, 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 and you know, I just want to, I guess I want to help our listeners understand, how does the city prioritize which pools are open and which pools are not open? Yeah, so we look at a number of factors. Obviously, recruited staff to specific pools is a factor because they usually come from the local community. We look at geography to make sure we're we're covering every neighborhood of the city. Uh, we look at neighborhood need. We look at past usage, like a pool that may get sixty thousand visits a year. You know, we prioritize everyone that gets six thousand visits a year. You know, and then some neighborhoods have a higher concentration of pools than others. So you know, maybe okay to shut a pool down in that neighborhood, but not another one. 
Understood, understood. So the city now is attempting to hire lifeguards to get prepared uh, for the summer. Uh, I looked at doing my research. I see that you've got about 281 lifeguards hired now. Tell us how many you're trying to hire. Talk to us about qualifications. Kind of give us the, the, the full scope so that our listeners can really get engaged. Yeah, so, you know, I'll start with the, with the easy stuff. So to be a lifeguard, you need to be 16 or older. And then you need to be certified as a lifeguard. So we have certification classes going seven days a week in every corner of the city. Uh, We have water safety instructors that that go through the course with everyone and get them certified. So it's really easy, and there's no cost to teens. Uh, Actually, any young person between the ages of 16 and 24, you know, will pick up the bill for that. So that's, that's really exciting. Like you said, we have around 280 recruited lifeguards right now. We'd like to get, you know, close to 350. The number is always changing because as we're speaking, we're getting applications in. So, you know, anywhere between 60 and 70 more lifeguards would be great at this point in time. Now, now you know what everybody wants to know. Okay, I'll sign up to be a lifeguard, but how much are you paying me? So what, what's the pay like for a lifeguard position? Now, listen, this is, this is the best deal in town. You get $16 an hour, 40 hours a week for eight weeks. Wow. Okay. All yeah, right. That's a, that's a nice little chunk of change if you're a junior or senior in high school. That's right. That's right. That's right. I would have liked to have had it when I was a junior or senior in high school. So tell us a little bit about the qualifications for becoming a lifeguard, because one of the things that I looked at in my notes is that uh, you will actually hire people that initially don't know how to swim. You'll actually pay the cost to train them. Yeah, yeah. So we put everyone through a screening exam in the pool around, you know, swimming. And if you don't pass the screening exam, we put you into what's called a remedial swim class. And the the water safety instructors will actually work with you on your swimming technique and, and getting you stronger as a swimmer. Once you get to that point, there is a certification test, as I mentioned. You have to swim the the length of the pool. You have to be able to tread water for for two minutes. You have to be able to submerge yourself into the deep end to pick up a five-pound brick and and to bring it up and and to carry it back to the side of the pool as if you were, you know, swimming back with somebody. Okay, okay. It it sounds intimidating, but our staff, uh, you know, we have a a young man, Will, and a young lady, Thelma, who do, do all this training. They've done it for years. You know, they're so good with it that, that that they get everyone where they need to be so they're ready to be a lifeguard. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I'm sitting here thinking I, I, I could get my – I've got a couple nieces and nephews that need jobs this summer. This looks like something that they really would be interested in. But, but here's something else that I thought was – that I found interesting. You hired Robin. Robin's a 70-year-old retiree, and she hasn't lifeguarded in 50 years. So so I yeah. want to make it clear, you know, we're talking about opportunities for young people, but this might also be an opportunity for a senior who's healthy, who's still wants to get out and be active. I mean, talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so, I mean, swimming is one of those lifelong things. It, it's, you know, for me, it's lifelong recreation. And, it, you know, it's one of those things you don't, you don't necessarily need a partner for. So um, to, be, to be able to swim, you can just go and swim, right? But like you said, like for uh, for retiree, it's really good. And we did do some engagement to our older adult centers and our senior populations to, you know, to to try and get some retirees to participate. And you know, we're we're talking lifeguards, but you know, if you're 18 and up, we can use pool maintenance attendants as well. So for the folks who you know who aren't comfortable with water, or getting in the pool, or don't want to learn how to swim, you know, you can help with you know pool maintenance and check chlorine levels and maintaining maintaining the pool as well. 
You're listening to Philly's Favorite 100.7 FM and 99.5 HD3. We're talking to the Deputy Commissioner of Parks and Recreations for the City of Philadelphia, uh, Mr. Bill Salvatore. You know what? Two things I want to do before we end our interview here. One, let's tell our listeners how they can find out more information uh, about the open and available lifeguard positions. And then after that, you said there's some other positions that uh, Parks and Recreations has available. Man, let's put it on the table. Let's, Let's see how we can help you out. Yeah, so the easy way to, to get information about becoming a lifeguard is to go to www.phila.gov backslash lifeguards. That'll take you right to the lifeguard launching page. You can actually go to an Eventbrite page to sign up for a certification class if you think you're ready or to sign up for a screening class if you want to see if you are ready to take the lifeguard exam. So that's the best way to do it. Uh, Anyone who's listening who's near uh, a rec center, has a relationship with their local rec center, can absolutely go in and talk to their rec leader to get information about the pool at that site or pools within that district. So those are two ways to do it. And you can always find Philadelphia Parks and Rec on social media. And we're going to also put the information up on our Facebook and Instagram pages and our website. Uh, so you can definitely, listeners, go there if you want to get more information. So now talk to us about some of the, very briefly, about some of the other positions that are available in Parks and Recreation. Yeah, so for, for teens 14 and up, we are uh, a provider for the Philadelphia Youth Network which is, you know, one of the largest providers of jobs for, for teenagers in the summer. And, and we use, you know, kids 14 and up uh, as camp counselors. So that's $11 an hour, uh, 20 hours a week for the entire camp season, which is July 5th through August 12th. You know, so if you have a 14 or 15-year-old who's not eligible to be a lifeguard, but you want to give them something to do this summer, they should visit their local rec center and talk to the supervisor about, you know, coming on as a camp counselor. Well, Commissioner Salvatore, I want to thank you for coming in the pastor's office this afternoon. Uh, These are some great opportunities, and as we do many times, we try to give our listeners great information about uh, employment opportunities. And and you know what? For the summer, these are some great opportunities. So thank you for sharing, and we're going to make sure that we post this to all of our social media platforms. All right. Thank you, Pastor. I appreciate it. Political spirit to maybe some life while you are listening to Phyllis Faber. Yeah.